Our text this morning <clears throat> comes from Second Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. There are two common phrases that come to my mind when I think about the title, When Ignorance is Better Than Knowledge. And that is the statement that ignorance is bliss, and the statement that there is no, ignorance is no excuse for the law. Neither one of those are directing us in the direction of our message this morning because Peter declares that it had been better for those that are referenced in the text to be ignorant of the way of righteousness than to have discovered it and then to have turned away from the commandment to accept it. Peter illustrates this kind of action with two examples, a dog and a hog, two of the most unclean animals under the Jewish culture and the Mosaic law with a dog and the hog. And Peter uses them with precision as he illustrates about those who have been exposed to the knowledge of the way of life and have refused to walk in it. Let's look at the text beginning with verse 21. It says, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment that's been delivered unto them. That word for takes us back to our previous study when he identifies these false prophets and false teachers and that which they had been doing in the way of making merchandise out of other believers. I should say out of believers because it becomes evident in the text, that they themselves were not believers. Peter said, for it had been better. The literal reading of that is, it kept on being better. The imperfect tense is used here in the text that identifies a continuous action in past time that has now ceased. There was a time when it kept on being better for these false teachers and these false prophets not to know the way of salvation. Seems rather strange that one of the apostles would say it's better for them not to know the way, but he enlarges upon that in our study here today. He said it kept on being better for them for those false prophets, not to 
have known the way. The statement to have not to have known the way is what we identify in the grammar as an infinitive, which indicates to us a purpose. If you want to understand the purposes that are identified in the scripture, look up the infinitives in the original language, of course, because the infinitive is that part of speech that introduces to us a purpose. The statement is made that it had been better for them not to have made it their purpose to know. The word know here, again, is not the normal uh, run-of-the-meal word in the Greek for know, which would be gnosis, but it's epinosis. It means not only to know the the thing that is revealed, but to understand it, and to understand it in a usable manner. We have, in our studies through past time, we have identified that when we are exposed to the knowledge of the Word of God, we need to comprehend what is being said, And then as we understand or comprehend that, we have to make some choices as to what we're going to do about believing it, accepting it, or rejecting it. When we are exposed to the Word of God and we are able to understand what it says, then in order for that to become useful to us, there must be an acceptance of it as fact or truth, and then it is cycled, as we have said in the past, from our uh, in our frontal lobe, so that we are able to have a norm or a standard, a principle by which we can live. Epinosis means to fully understand it in such a way that it is usable. It does not always involve the concept of believing it, but understanding it. And as we look at the text here in Second Peter, it becomes obvious that they had not believed it. As a matter of fact, we're told that they rejected the method that was presented to them for salvation. So Peter tells us it would have been better if they had not come to that place of understanding about the Lord Jesus Christ, remember in our study last week, they came to understand the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, identifying His deity, identifying His being the Messiah, the sent one of God, identifying Him being a man that was virgin born and... uh, these false teachers now have come to an understanding about who he was and what he came to do and what he taught. But when it came time to make a commitment to obey the command, we see that they did not do that. They have a knowledge of God and they understand the plan of God Peter is saying, they understand the way that God has established. He very precisely uses that word uh, 
uh, hold on to identify the way and the thing that these false teachers understood and knew then was the way that God had established by which man who had become estranged as a result of sin could now be restored to fellowship and to relationship with God. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man can come to the Father but through me. In that first century, as Peter was ministering, there had been the ministry of John the Baptist prior, whose message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, he was baptizing in the river Jordan for those that would identify with his, his statement, his revelation, his prophecy as the forerunner for the Messiah, that in fact the Messiah was going to make himself manifest in their presence. But when Jesus came then and he began to declare, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, the religious crowd walked away from that. They had become so steeped as we have seen in the past in the ritual and the religious practices of Judaism that they missed the whole message. But these false teachers have got the message. They understand the Lordship. They understand the humanity. They understand the Messiah role. And they have been exposed to that and understand the way, but after they have known it, the Scripture says, then they obey not the commandment. I want to point out that when he says that it would have been better for them not to have known the way than to know the way of righteousness completely and then not walk in yet. The word righteousness is that Greek word dikonosun and it means that which conforms to the specifications of the plan or the blueprint. So they came to understand Jesus is the way. They came to understand He is the way to righteousness. Righteousness would never be acquired by keeping the law. Righteousness would never be acquired by the goodness of man. Righteousness and conformity to the plan required the grace of God offered to mankind and man's response in childlike faith of accepting it and obeying it. He said, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they came to know it, and again, that's epinosis, to fully know and understand the way to righteousness, he said, for them then to turn from the holy commandment. I don't suppose we have any Calvinists in the group this morning. 
A Calvinist is one who embraces the doctrine that John Calvin fostered when he taught that we do not have free will when it comes to salvation. That God in eternity past selected those across the coming process of time that He would deliver. No man could be saved unless God chose him apart from his own action and his free will. And then God would reveal salvation to him. As a matter of fact, John Calvin taught that that you could not become a believer unless God had chosen you and God gave you new birth. Their new birth doctrine precedes salvation. You're born, the Holy Spirit gives you new birth. Now you can understand the things of God. Now you can believe. And by the way, you can't reject it in that theology. That theology was very prominent in the early Reformation days. And then people began to question such a thing or to question such a God that would make that those choices and not offer every man salvation. And they wrestled with passages that said that Christ not died not only for our sin, but the sins of the whole world. They said, well, we can't understand what that means, but it certainly doesn't mean that he died for everyone because everyone can't be saved. Only those that God has elected can be saved. And so that doctrine uh, kind of washed out of what was found in some of the areas of denominations of the church uh, for a while, but the understanding of the full grace of God was more dominant. But now we're seeing another trend back toward that. Uh, I'm just amazed at the different ones that I come in contact with who believe that we do not have choice or free will. I taught my students that would be a monster God. And if I believed that was the God that is revealed to us in Scripture, that I would probably take sides with the others and oppose it. To For a God that would be that callous and indifferent that He did not, would not give man a chance. But praise God, that's not the issue he is a God of love and He has provided a way not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. And so in that concept, I put a note in in case there might happen to be a Calvinist that was around that when we look at the grammar that's related to Scripture, I certainly understood uh, the grace plan of God apart from uh, reformed thinking and from Calvinism uh, before I learned the languages, but the biblical languages dispel any notion at all of that kind of God. Because where it says, after they have made it a principle to fully know, then they turn away. John Calvin said they couldn't fully know without having been elected by God, and if they were elected by God, they could not turn away. Not only can you not accept Christ 
as Savior if you're not elected according to that theology. But you can't ignore Christ if you are elected. You don't have a choice in it. Well, when we look at the text here, it's masculine gender. The masculine gender indicates the initiation of the action. They they were responsible for initiating the action to come to a full knowledge of the way of of righteousness. And uh, by their initiation, they were offered grace because they pursued it. But not the uh, irresistible grace uh, that John Calvin taught and that is prominent in too many churches in this area when we moved up here and we started looking for a place to worship. It was amazing to me how many were reformed and had uh, that idea uh, and that th- that I want to call it theology, but that wouldn't be correct because it's not the knowledge of God. It, it's uh, Calvinism and uh, uh, the idea that you couldn't resist. Well, these men resisted the gospel. They came to fully understand and know the gospel and they resisted it. The statement is to turn from the holy commandment. The word commandment identifies the way, the method, the plan of righteousness. There, Christ Himself gave the commandment, and we find it reiterated throughout the New Testament. It is the message to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And all that are in your house can be saved by believing. The single commandment is only believe. The word believe is translated from the Greek word pistuo. Here the form is pistuson. And it means to place your weight or your dependency upon something. The false teachers had come to understand the plan as the Lord Jesus Christ had revealed it, but they turned away from the holy commandment and would not call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. It's then illustrated, the illustration is given that the thing they have done is according to, it's the specific thing that the dog does and that the hog does. He said uh, it's a true proverb. The true proverb, and the word proverb means pithy saying. You have a uh, a book in your Bible identified as the book of Proverbs. It's a collection of pithy sayings. That word pithy means there is substance. It is There are statements that are full of substance that are found in the Proverbs. But not all the Proverbs that we're exposed to come from the Word of God. We have some modern day Proverbs as well. And this one is was common in the day of Peter, but is still common today that the dog is turned again back 
to its vomit. We had that unhealthy experience last week uh, when we were babysitting the dog that belongs to our, our grandchildren. They, um, the, the dog would eat, but would not keep it down. And so I spent considerable time and not only me cleaning it up, but fighting the dog because the dog came back and wanted to eat it. And even when I threw it out in the yard, that was a mistake. Because then when I was walking the dog, the dog would find it. And uh, I was reminded over the past two weeks, repeatedly, of the dog returning back to its vomit. These false teachers left that kind of situation and pursued the plan of Jesus Christ, but refused to obey the command. They refused to call upon the name of the Lord. And they went back to the filthy vomit of philosophy and humanism, human viewpoint that they had been exposed to before they were exposed to Christianity. The dog returns again back to it's vomit. And then the sow that was washed returns to her wallowing. A new proverb today about putting lipstick on a dog, what that came out in one of the political campaigns a few years ago, that a pig was still a pig even if you put lipstick on it. Well, Peter said, after the pig had been washed, went back to its own wallow in the mud, to wallow in the mud. That It's the nature of the critter. You can't just clean the hog up. You'd have to change its nature to keep it out of the wallow. You can't just clean up the life of individuals today. There must be a nature change. There must be a new birth experience. There has to be that obedience to the command. Bathing the pig will not change its nature, nor will gaining a knowledge of the way of Christ change one's nature. From sinner to saint, it requires a calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation. So verses 21 and 22 read thusly, for it kept on being better for them, the false teachers, not to have made it their purpose to fully know the way, the one of conformity to the specifications of the plan. Then having made it a principle to fully know, to make it their purpose to once and for all turn away from the set-apart commandment that was delivered as a matter of principle to them. For it happened unto them that specific thing that is the true pithy saying, the dog abruptly turned back again to its own vomit, and the sow, having as a matter of principle participated in being completely bathed into her well, into her wall of mud. These false teachers had been according to Peter, in a better position, before they made it their purpose to fully understand the way 
the way identifying conforming to the specifications of God's plan, then after they had completely understood, then purposing to once and for all reject the commandment that would enter them into that relationship. The language indicates that this refusal to obey the command, this turning away, was a once and for all act. Now the text does not tell us specifically why the teachers were better off having not heard. There are some that would suggest, well, they're going to be varying degrees in hell. Temperature's going to be at this level for some, going to be at this level for others, going to be at this level for others. Uh, there, there are going to be different degrees of hell. I've heard that all my life. haven't ever had any biblical documentation for it. But you hear that, that people are going to be punished for what they've done. And uh, the degree then is going to be determined. No, that's not biblical. It's not biblical because there's only one sin. Only one sin that will send a person to hell. And that's the sin of rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord. There's only one thing that stands between us and heaven, and that is our willingness to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. So there's only one sin. Other sins are not the issue for the lake of fire and brimstone. The issue for the lake of fire and brimstone is uh, Jesus Christ. The plan of salvation as is revealed through Him. So, we can't say that because they had greater knowledge, they're going to have greater punishment. Perhaps the statement that it would have been better for them not to have ever heard and understood the way and then not obey the commandment indicates that they have fully hardened their hearts and therefore they're without hope and there will be no future. Perhaps if they had not come to this full understanding and made a decision to reject it, there would still be hope for them. But the text in the grammar says that they have once and for all said no, and so there is no hope for them. They have hardened their heart, and therefore there will be no repentance. Now we need to understand the hardened heart. When God talks about hardening the heart, and Calvinist and Reformed theologians take the statements about God hardening the heart out of context and, uh, and without understanding, when God speaks of that, He never speaks of violating the free will of the individual. God has created us in His image. Now, we don't look like God. We don't act like God. We don't think like God. The only way we are in the image of God is that we have free will. And with that free will, we're able to make choices. 
Well, God has given us that free will. And when he talks about hardening the heart, he's talking about the use of that free will that we have, the right of choice that we have. When it says that he hardened a heart, it does not mean that he interferes with the process of our being able to make choice. No, quite the opposite of that. He insists on us making choice. He brings circumstances and situations in our life to force us to make a choice. And if we are negative, and that's an absolute circumstance, that that's we're firm in that position, then the more often we have to make a choice, the more often we reject that commandment, the harder we become. Until the heart is completely hardened, there is hope for repentance. But Peter says, these have made a firm commitment to once and for all turn away from the commandment and they have rejected Christ as Savior, so their hearts have become hardened. Before that hardening process, there might be, from our viewpoint, some hope of change. But no, now they have come to the point where their hearts are hardened, their decision is final, and there is no hope for them. Now, you and I can't know the hardness of a person's heart. We might see evidence that they seem to be awful hard in their heart. But we don't know where the point of of break comes, of softening, of, of repentance might come. So we need to continue to minister the Word to whoever will listen to it and then let them do as they will. My illustration in the past to you about the hardening of the heart is how I hardened my mother's heart. And that is, I never interfered with her free will. I just exercised it. I just forced her to address the same issue again and again. When I'd say, can I go with the guys? We're going to go up to San Francisco. The Autorama car show is up there and we're going to go up. No, you can't go. Now, my problem with my mother's heart is I never quite knew whether that was that first reaction of no you can't go was just nature to mothers or whether it was a thought through decision and so I would persist and then there came a point when I knew the heart was hard and I'd have been better off not to have processed all that though I wouldn't have gotten to go but when she would say to me no and if you ask me again I'm going to jerk your lung out and then that was my mother's evidence of a hardened heart. Well, I'm not sure where these false teachers and false prophets were, but they had come to that point of a hardened heart. The false teachers that Peter refers to have gained a full knowledge of the Lord, even Savior, Jesus Christ. They fully understood the way and then they made a deliberate, and according to the grammar, 
a final rejection of Christ. And so it would have been better had they not reached that point of firming up and jerking the lung out before they were backed off. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain, that means empty, in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They're compared to the dog then that goes back and eats its own vomit, and the sow that participates allows itself to be bathed, and then goes right back to the wallow in her mud hole. The title of the message then, when ignorance is better than knowledge, the answer appears to be when there's no knowledge, there's no accountability. Romans 4.15 says, for where no law is, there is no transgression. However, before you buy into that, let me remind you that Romans chapter 15 verses 13 through 21 says, For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Be careful now. Verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto the many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to commandment, uh, to condemnation. But the free gift, is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in in uh, life by one Christ Jesus. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's obedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. So there is one way, there is one plan that God has set up for salvation. There is only one hope, and that is in Christ Jesus. When condemned man accepts Christ as his personal Savior, Grace is bestowed. And through grace, he receives the gift of righteousness, resources, 
and the very realm of God. Just as death reigned as a result of one transgression, so also life will reign through the act of one act of righteousness which Christ performed. So they who would say, well, there was no law, and so where there is no law, there is no transgression, therefore I'm not condemned. No, the Scripture says the condemnation came even before the law. The condemnation of death was sentenced upon Adam and that life which Adam propagated is temporal, subject to physical death, but also open to the new birth, to new life, to a spiritual beginning that is eternal. So the law simply came to identify what was going on, but death was still the issue from Adam until the law, the not law not given until the time of Moses. And yet death continued to reign because we are born spiritually dead and limited to our mortal life, our physical life. Law entered simply to give us an understanding of the excessiveness of what Adam's sin was and where that excessiveness prevailed that God intervened with grace and grace did much more abound. So just as one act by Adam caused death to reign in all of mankind, the one act of Jesus Christ provides potential for life to reign. Death was not a choice as a result of Adam's sin. It is given as a result of sin. But Christ being the source of life is potential. It's with our free will that we choose to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Four words identify the mechanics of the way of the Lord, even the Savior Jesus Christ. Sin, condemnation, justification, and righteousness. Four words also identify the result of entering the way, forever acquitted, and eternal life. So, the mechanics of entering that way result in our being forever acquitted and of our having eternal life. Sin, the word actually is a Greek archery term, means to shoot an arrow and miss the target, to miss the mark. Sin then identifies missing the mark and Sin entered the world through Adam's one transgression to eat of the forbidden tree. Condemnation is the judgment of guilt and condemnation came upon all men because of Adam's sin. Justification means to be acquitted. And justification was provided through Jesus Christ. 
Righteousness means to conform to the specifications of the plan, and righteousness is available to whosoever will, to all that will call upon the name of Jesus. Acquitted is the result of one's personal faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, he is sinless, he is uncondemned, he is acquitted, and he is righteous. Eternal life is the result of man's appropriation of God's righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. So you see, the full knowledge of the true way by these false teachers causes their offense to abound. And although God's grace does much more abound, these false teachers rejected the plan after they understood it. They rejected the only means of salvation, faith in Jesus Christ, for that's the only way by which we were able to gain the righteousness of God credited to our account. So the Scripture says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The scripture says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. One Sunday afternoon, my wife was watching a preacher on television as I was leaving to go over to the office for a meeting with the finance committee. And as I started out the door, I heard the preacher say, if God's dealing with you to receive Christ as Savior, you better do it right now. Because the Bible says there's coming a time when God's Spirit will no longer strive with you. And it'll be too late. And you may want to be saved, and you can't. And I stopped dead in my tracks, and I turned around and I said, All right, Charles Stanley, let's see, you dig yourself out of this hole. Did you tell them that they got 120 years? Well, he didn't respond to me because he couldn't hear me. But, we oftentimes misunderstand the concept and the application of Scripture. Scripture has to be interpreted in the context in which it's found. And I've heard that passage used many times. As a matter of fact, I've shared with you the story of a man in my dad's church uh, in Cutler, California, years ago that... uh, I was doing an evangelistic uh, meeting there at, and I noticed on Sunday morning this man just weeping, tears, holding to the back of the pew. And that evening, the same thing. And I said to my dad, what's going on with Mr. I called his name. I don't recall right now what his name was. And he said, I, he said, he 
believes he's gone past the time when the Holy Spirit convicts. He, re he said no too many times, and now he can't be saved. And I said, well, what's doing the conviction that's making the tears run down? So that evening, that Monday evening after the service, the same, I had seen the same situation with him. And so I asked him after the service, I said, could I talk with you a few minutes? And uh, he said, sure. So we went into my dad's study and I said, uh, you really seem to be disturbed. And he said, well, yeah, he said, I grew up in the home of a Baptist preacher. I was preacher's kid. And I rejected Christ. And and now I would like to be saved, but I can't because the Spirit no longer strives with me. I put it off too long. And I said, uh, how old are you? And he said, I'm 56 years old. And I said, well, I got good news for you. He said, I, I said, why do you think you can't be saved? And he said, because... The Bible says my spirit will not always strive with man. I said, but don't stop there. What's the rest of the verse say? His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now that scripture verse has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with the angelic conflict and the infiltration dominating all humanity and man would no longer be flesh. But in a hundred and twenty years, that would come to pass that man would be no longer flesh. That Well, let's see. You're 56? Well, you've got another 54 years plus 20. You've got a long time. Yeah. I never understood that. I never thought about it. He dropped down on his knees and he asked the Lord to save him. He was 56 years old and had bought into a misunderstanding of Scripture. And when when Dr. Stanley said uh, that the Spirit, the Bible says the Spirit will not always strive with man, you got to finish it, Stanley. Tell him 120 years. And then they'll probably put it off till after they die. And then it'd be too late. But we need to understand Scripture when it's context and let Scripture interpret Scripture. We uh, we see the plan is made clear. And these who have understood it have rejected the commandment to call upon the name of the Lord. And they are attempting to make merchandise out of true believers. We'll pick up here after Mother's Day and... Uh, and go into the third chapter of Second Peter, but don't miss the mechanics that God has set forth in His Word. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it comes to mind, seek ye the Lord while He may be found, call upon Him while He is near, and we'll find redemption in Him.